Paul, a servant of God and an, and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to further the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness, in the hope of eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised before the beginning of time, and which now at his appointed season has brought to light through the preaching entrusted to me by the command of God our Saviour. To Titus, my true son in our common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Saviour. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Um, I think for most of you, I'll be a new face, um, and that's because I'm part of the 4 p.m. congregation here um, at Inspire St. James. And it's a great privilege to be with you guys this morning. I hope that perhaps after the service, I get to know um, a few more of you um, as we chat over coffee. Um, We're looking at Titus this morning, as Mark's introduced and we've had read. Um, Do keep it open in front of you. It's going to be a great help as we start. A big thanks to Pete Sinclair and his introductory video, who has almost stolen my introduction, but we're going to plough on anyway. Um, And before we do that, shall we pray together? Thank you, Father, that as we gather here together this morning, that you, the living God, are present with us. And we ask, Father, that as we open up the start of Titus together in a few moments, that you'd be softening our hearts, that we might be ready to hear from you, and ready for your spirit to be at work in our hearts and lives. And we ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen. Now, um, my wife Charlotte and I, as Mark's already alluded to, um, work with students uh, here in London, and most of the time that means we're on campus with them, helping them to share the good news of Jesus with other students uh, across, across the centre of London. And one of the universities that I work with is UCL, University College London, and it's grown to be almost the biggest university in the whole of the country, and part of that is because you can study almost anything there almost anything apart from theology. Um, And that was uh, illustrated to me earlier this year when I found out that someone was doing their PhD in fake news studies. Who knew that you could do a study, uh, a PhD in fact, on fake news? But perhaps it's not all that surprising, is it, that these days you can do a PhD in fake news studies because the concept of fake news has flooded our Western culture You may have noticed Facebook widely widely advertising across the tube and across TV their promise to tackle fake news. You might have noticed Donald Trump tweeting every other minute about fake news. You might even have noticed that at the end of 2017, fake news was widely recognised as the word of the year. But fake news isn't just something that's happening on social media or in US politics. Rather, it's very much around us in the midst of our everyday lives. It's in advertising that we see around us, luring us into false pretenses. It's in our workplaces, as people seek to get an edge over others. It's in our relationships, as we strive to look good amongst other people. And it's even in our own hearts, as we allow our unhealthy desires to influence our actions. See, our world is full of fake news, full of deception and lies, that tempts our hearts and so often lead us astray. And before we know it, we find ourselves not living for God, but living for money or for pleasure or for status or for power. So in a world of fake news, 
How can we be sure of what is true? Where can we turn to find truth? What can we trust enough to base our life and our decisions upon? Well, as the video alluded to, it turns out that fake news is no new idea. In many ways, things are very similar where Titus was in Crete in the first century. In fact, if you look down into chapter 1 of Titus and verse 12, the Cretan culture has a reputation for being deceptive. Verse 12 says, in the words of one of their own philosophers, Cretans are always liars, evil brutes and lazy gluttons. Now, if you need any more convincing, the Greek word meaning to be a liar, kratidso, literally means to be a Cretan. So they obviously didn't have a great reputation amongst the Greeks in the first century. So it's safe to say there was a lot of fake news flying around in Crete in the first century. And sadly, that was also true of the churches that Paul had planted in Crete, where there were corrupt leaders who were leading the people astray, leading people away from God with false teaching. And Paul's left his good friend Titus in Crete to oversee the churches there. And so his letter here to Titus are his instructions on how Titus should go about setting things right within the churches. Now, these instructions begin in verse 5 of Titus. So I hear you say, why not skip ahead? And why have a whole sermon on these first four verses, this introduction to the letter? Well, if we look through Paul's letters, we find that Paul's introductions to his letters are actually really important. Typically, in um, the first century world, when you wrote a letter, you would write, Paul to Titus, Greetings, and you keep it nice and short and sweet. But Paul elaborates for four verses, as we've seen. And in doing so, he expands, giving an overview of all that he's going to be talking about in detail later on in the letter. So in essence, what we've got here is the front page headline of what the Cretan church most needs. And it reads, Knowledge of the Truth. Knowledge of the Truth. It's worth noting at this point that the word that Paul uses, uh, which we have translated as knowledge, means more than just to know or understand something. It means to recognise, to kind of experience through relationship. We don't really have a word that means quite the same thing in English. So in other words, it's knowledge that your heart is gripped by, not just your mind. Your heart and mind are gripped by and devoted to. And so Paul is saying to the church in Crete and to us here in London today, what we most need is full devotion to the truth, the gospel of the Lord Jesus, the gospel of grace. But what's so special about this truth that Paul's got to share? Why should we devote ourselves to it over over and above all the other truth claims of our world? Does it make any difference? Has it got anything good to say? Well, we're going to look together at three characteristics of this gospel truth that Paul's introducing to us and see why it's worth paying attention to and seeking to grasp more deeply. We'll see the source of the truth, the effect of the truth, and the hope of the truth. So firstly then, the source of the truth. Let's look back down at verses 1 to 3 again and read together. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to further the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness, in the hope of eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised before the beginning of time and which now at his appointed season has brought to light through the preaching entrusted to me by the command of God our Saviour. The source of a message is hugely important, isn't it? Say I was to injure my leg today and two of my friends were with me and one of them's a lawyer 
and one of them's a doctor. And I ask them to take a look at it, and they both give me a diagnosis. Who am I more likely to believe? Well, the doctor's, right? The doctor's diagnosis. And that's because the doctor has a far greater knowledge of how legs work than the lawyer, I presume. And that gives them a much greater authority when it comes to deciding whether or not my leg's broken. And did you notice how, in verse 1 simile, Paul gives us his credentials? He's a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ. He's a servant of God, meaning he's devoted his life to serving him. He's given up everything in order to make himself available to God and to serve him however God wants him to. But not only is he a servant of God, importantly, he is an apostle of Jesus. An apostle was someone who was an eyewitness to the risen Jesus and who'd been specifically chosen by God to bear witness to the good news about Jesus. So we need to recognise this isn't just Paul's opinion on what the Cretan church needs. He's been sent by God and so his message here comes with divine authority. You might have noticed how he drives home that point in verse 3 when he says, which now at his appointed season he has brought to light through the preaching entrusted to me by the command of God our Saviour. See, God is revealing this truth. He has brought it to light through Paul's preaching. The great God of the universe, creator and sustainer of all things, has entrusted to Paul the responsibility of sharing the truth about Jesus. Paul's message is at the command of God. It comes with divine authority. It's God's word. It's God's word. This truth that Paul is proclaiming comes from none other than God himself, the one who breathed all things into existence, speaking to us and revealing his truth to us. And it's important for us to see that God is not like us. Did you notice in verse 2, he does not lie. Now in first century Crete, if someone told you something, the first thing that you'd be doing in your head was trying to work out if they were telling the truth or trying to deceive you. And in many ways, as we've talked about already, in 21st century Britain, it's not far, similar, uh, not far different. It's very similar, isn't it? When people tell stories or we read something in the news, the first thing we're trying to gauge is how trustworthy is this source? And that's because we know from experience that human beings deceive us, they lie to us, and they lead us astray. But God is not like that. He does not lie. His words are sure. We can trust that what he says is true, and what he promises will come to be. You see, the source of the truth could not be more trustworthy as the one who doesn't lie and could not have more authority as the one who breathed the universe into being and holds it in the palm of his hand. I don't know if you've ever seen uh, one of those video clips where a famous sports person goes in disguise to um, kind of a practice session um, for a group of kids. And although the famous sports person clearly knows the sport really well and has lots of ability, to begin with, the kids will kind of mess about and laugh at how silly this person looks Um, in their disguise, often not really listening to what's been said. But then there comes the special moment where 
the fake beard is taken off and the wig's taken off and the true identity of the famous sports star is revealed and suddenly everything changes. Suddenly there's undivided attention to every word that he says. There's undivided attention to everything that he or she does. The kids practice harder than they've ever done before. And why? Well, it's because they're in awe of the person that they're in the midst of. They're, they recognise who's coaching them. They recognise their authority. They trust them to know what they're talking about because of their immense success and ability in their sports. Well, what about us then as we come to the truth of the Christian gospel message? Do we remember who the source of this truth is? Are you confident in it? Or do you find yourself doubting it when it begins to clash with the alternative truth claims in our world? Friends, we need to hold on to the source of the truth. Let's put our trust in the one who made all things, who knitted us together in our mother's womb, whose knowledge of our world goes far beyond any human being, and the one who never lies. He is the source of the truth, and so we can be confident in basing our lives on it. That's the source of the truth, God himself. Secondly then, the effect of the truth. Look back with me to verse 1, where Paul declares he's writing to further the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. It's quite clear what's being said, isn't it? If we grow in knowledge of the truth, then we'll also grow in godliness. Real growth in knowledge of the truth leads to growth in our godliness. That is to say, it will lead to us becoming more like Jesus. Now, as Paul continues his letter to Titus, which we'll be looking at together over the coming weeks, he's going to develop this theme and help us to see how it is that the knowledge of the truth leads to godliness. So make sure that you don't miss out on the rest of the series. But I wonder what your reaction is when you hear that this book is all about the truth that leads to godliness. So often when we think about godliness, we can find ourselves, can't we, feeling more guilty than we do excited. So why, why should we care? Why should we care about this? Well, when I was growing up, I used to hate fancy dress parties or World Book Day where you have to dress up as your favourite character from a book. Um, and that was mainly because I very quickly got bored of making my costume and so by the time I got to the party or got to school, mine was awful compared to everyone else's and that used to really annoy me. Lots of kids, though, love fancy dress, don't they? It's an opportunity to impersonate their favourite superhero or their favourite character from a story. They run around pretending to fly like Superman or cast spells like Harry Potter or play football like Ronaldo, whatever it might be. They enjoy being like their heroes because in their heart they wish they could be more like them. They wish they had the ability that they have, right? Well, how does that compare then with how we feel about our hero in the Lord Jesus? Do we desire to imitate him in the same way that kids do about their heroes? See, he's the one who humbled himself for us, coming down to earth to become one of us and gave himself up for us on the cross that we might be forgiven and inherit eternal life. He's the saviour of our souls who lived a perfect life so much better 
than simply having the power to fly or be the best footballer in the world. And as Christians, we worship him and follow him who has set us an example of how to live the perfect godly life. So surely, we want to live like him? See, Jesus has done so much for us. Without him, he says, we can do nothing. We can do nothing. And he says to us, come and follow me. Friends, let's strive to be becoming more and more like Jesus each day as we follow him. And that is what it means to grow in godliness, to become increasingly like the perfect example that we've got in Jesus. I wonder, is that something that we really want? Is that something that you really desire to grow in? Remember, the people that Paul's addressing here, these are the Cretans who are always liars, evil brutes, lazy gluttons, and even in Crete, among people like this, Paul's expecting the gospel message to bring about godliness in people's lives. And so the same is true today. We can trust that grasping the gospel better will lead to us growing in godliness. Now let's be clear, Paul's not saying that we must grow in godliness to achieve our salvation. No, it's by grace alone that we're saved. And Paul makes that clear as he goes on in his letter. But what he is saying is that once we come to know Jesus and are saved by his grace to us, then the outworking in our lives as we grow to know him more is growth in godliness. Now, wherever we are in our journey of knowing Jesus, perhaps we're still investigating the truth claims of Jesus, perhaps we've been following him for a few months or maybe even for a few decades. Wherever we are on that journey, we all find ourselves, don't we, being tempted by the fleeting pleasures of sin, being sucked in by the fake news of the world, not being as godly as we would love to be. So, amongst this spiritual battle with the temptations of the world, what's going to be our motivation in this truth for godliness? And Paul says that our motivation is found in the hope of the truth. And that's our third heading, the hope of the truth. Look down with me again, verses 1 and 2. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to further the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness in the hope of eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised before the beginning of time. So the hope of the truth is not in the here and now, it's in the future. And what a future is for those who believe in the truth. The hope of eternal life. Now, like with the word knowledge that we talked about in verse 1, the word hope used here in Titus, and indeed on many other occasions in the Bible, holds a slightly different meaning to how we use it in English. See, in English, hope means that we really want something to happen, and it may or may not happen. We're going to have to wait and see. Rather, here it refers to a confident assurance that we can have because we know that it's been promised by God. And therefore, it will happen. He does not lie. Did you notice at the end of verse 2, which God who, promised, who, who does not lie promised before the beginning of time. See, since before the creation of the world, before the pages of human history, God promised 
that he will provide a way for mankind to inherit eternal life with him. Not by us living sufficiently godly lives to earn this eternal life, as we would fall so far short of the mark, but rather through his grace, through his grace to us, through Jesus' death. And as we've seen already, he's the God who does not lie, and so with his promise of eternal life comes assurance for those of us who believe in the death and resurrection of Jesus, the truth, that eternal life is our future. Eternal life is our future. What an amazing thing that is to ponder. Perhaps you're here today and you wouldn't call yourself a Christian. Well, this is what God is offering us through the person of Jesus Christ. Eternal life in a new creation where everything has been made new, everything has been made perfect. No more pain, no more sorrow, no more death. Life forevermore, enjoying God's wonderful creation restored to perfection and enjoying being in the presence of the God who created you and loves you. That's the offer that Jesus has made available to us if we trust in this truth. It's an amazing offer. And if you're investigating Christian things, then please do chat to us here at Inspire. Come chat to me, chat to Mark, chat to um, anyone here in the congregation. We'd love to help you think through your questions and dig more into this truth. And for those of you then who have put your trust in Jesus, how often do you cast your mind forward to reflect upon your future? To reflect upon the gift of eternal life? That's been given to you through the grace that God has shown you. Jesus gave himself up to redeem us from our wickedness and to purify us with his righteousness that we might be welcomed into God's presence for eternity. See, our future is to be made perfectly like Christ in the new creation. Perfectly like Christ. And how then will we choose to live now as those who Jesus has given his life for to purify us? As we look forward to that certain future hope that Jesus has won for us and as we wait for his return, don't we long to grow in becoming more like him, more like the perfect person of Jesus that ultimately we will be made like? Wonderfully, we're his people Let's strive to be like him and to give glory to him in doing so. But if that wasn't motivation enough, how we choose to live now as we look ahead to that future impacts how those around us view the truth. Sadly, we don't have to look far to find people who refuse to engage with Christianity because how they've been treated by Christians or how they've seen Christians behaving. People will make judgments about Jesus based upon what they see in his followers. Now what's an opportunity then to make a hugely positive impact for the gospel through the way in which we live our lives at work, at home, amongst our friends? We long to see, don't we, many believing in the truth and receiving eternal life now? If so, our godliness is so important because it displays and commends both the truth 
and the power of the gospel to those around us. The hope of the truth, eternal life and perfect redemption to come for us and for others who put their trust in Jesus motivates us to live godly lives in the here and now. As we close then, I wonder if you've ever come across some fake money in your wallet, perhaps a pound coin that is slightly the wrong shape or a note that seems slightly the wrong colour. How are you able to identify the fake money? Well, it's because you know what real money looks like, right? You know how money should look. And so in the difference, you can see that it's fake. The only way you can identify the fake money is because you know exactly what real money looks like. And the same thing applies with truth in our world. If we don't know and recognise the truth that God has revealed to us, then we won't be able to identify when Satan seeks to deceive us and lead us astray with lies. We must seek to be growing in knowledge of the truth so as to protect ourselves from being deceived, to protect ourselves from the fake news of the world and the fake news of our own hearts. So, what should we be doing practically to grow in our knowledge of the truth? Well, the way into the Christian life is the way on. And so, we must keep ourselves being fed from God's word. Are we reading our Bibles daily? Do we need some help from some study notes or um, an accountability partner to help us with that? The summer can be a great time uh, to start that. So, why not give that some thought even today, if that's something that you find hard? Are you part of a small group here at church or do you have a few close Christian friends around you? That's a great way to be growing in the knowledge of the truth alongside others who you can support and be supported by as we seek to grow together. And how about committing to the rest of this sermon series in Titus to listening to it? I realise that many of us will be away perhaps for a couple of Sundays over the summer, but why not commit to listening to the ones that you do miss on the Inspire St James website. After all, Paul has written this letter exactly for that reason. So surely it's worth listening to. The source of the truth then, God himself, the effect of the truth is that it leads to godliness. And the hope of the truth is eternal life to come, which motivates us to live godly lives now. What a wonderful truth this is. Let's ask God that he would help us by his spirit to be growing in knowledge of it. Let's pray together. Father, we praise you that you've revealed your truth to us through your word. Thank you that we can come to it and grow in knowledge of the truth as you speak to us through it. We are so very aware of the lies and deception around us in this world and ask that you'd be helping us to discern the truth and to grow in godliness as we seek to follow you. And we ask these things for Jesus' sake. Amen.